0: It's the Totally Football Show International Edition. Yes, road to Russia. And from England to Egypt, who we'll go out to in the last 16, thanks to a Deli alley red card and the Henderson Metatarsal, we've got it all rounded up like my height on a dating profile. There's good news for three Lions supporters. They were folding early doors, but then superior wing play helped them enjoy new heights. That was the paper darts, of course. But not good news for Scotland, who become the first team ever to fail because they were using the wrong genes. Elsewhere, we'll hear from happy fans in Iceland and the United States of America. And we'll rub our eyes and pinch ourselves once again as we ask, are they really going to have to have a World Cup without Argentina? That and your questions. It is the Totally Football Show. And hello, Raphael Honigstein on this Totally Football Show. Hello, James. Hey there, Are you refreshed... I am refreshed. Thank you very much. Okay, I love the international break. Yeah, me too. Some international breaks maybe a little bit of a, a kind of handbrake on on the exciting forward momentum of club football and its narrative, but this I think has been very very exciting, f- full of do or die antics and, and all sorts of daring do. I, I put it to you, Jack Lang, and it hasn't finished yet, has it?
1: No, still plenty to come mm. in uh, many continents. So.
0: Ecuador-Argentina. You were urging us to to stay up for Peru-Argentina when we we last week spoke. I didn't myself. Did I miss much?
1: You didn't miss any goals, but you missed a a very dramatic evening, and I'm sure there'll be more of the same.
0: Absolutely. Messi poised on the brink of missing out on the next World Cup. It's Michael Cox. Hello, James. Hello there. You've been busy this weekend, haven't you? Uh, Just watching football. Two two
2: very uh, comfortable victories for England.
0: Mm. It's what you do. Nice. International break, then, for some... It sounded like this.
1: But for others, Brian, like this. centro! Cabezazo Mundial! el mundial, el mundial, el mundial, el mundial, el mundial, así lo grita
3: el país,
0: así lo grita el That's right. Scotland didn't make it to the World Cup, just like Jim Burt warned us, Jack. It's the hope that does you, and there was plenty of hope here, wasn't there, for Gordon Strachan's crew?
1: Uh, yes and no. I mean, when they when they took the lead, people had, I guess, hope that there'd be another one nil win. Strachan's made a made a habit of winning these these kind of games one nil, one nil wins. As Scotland manager, an exquisite finish from Lee Griffiths really really was. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, I recommend you finding it somewhere legal. Uh, A lovely finished ball coming over his shoulder. Amazing technique, really. So at at that point, yeah, sure, there was a bit of hope, but the performance was not great, even when they were ahead. Slovenia were creating a lot of chances. Scotland looked a little bit stodgy, I think. Chris Martin got the nod up front, but didn't do a great deal. And Slovenia changed things up at half-time. They put on Roman Bezjak. The game just started slipping out of Scotland's fingers, really. Mm. They they were never really dominant in possession, they weren't creating a lot of chances, so I think if you're one nil up, you have to defend impeccably to get a result in a game like that and they, they did not.
0: They certainly didn't, did they? Do you think nerves got to them, particularly the second Slovenia goal?
1: Uh, perhaps, I think, well, they were both set pieces, they were both, I think, situations that Strachan might have expected his team to deal with. Neither was a, was, you know, a particularly great goal and the reaction to the Scotland players after the second, kind of heads in hands, really did tell the story. It wasn't, wasn't pretty from either side, really. Slovenia aren't a, a superb side, but Scotland, even when they needed a goal in response at the end, could well, the, only.
0: There the was once again hope, wasn't there? It was Snodgrass with a cross, but they were very well taken equaliser.
1: Yeah, it was a very nice finish. And actually, that actually very easily could have been the winner because mm. Darren Fletcher missed a sitter a couple of minutes before that. Uh, and then so afterwards, it was just left for another post mortem from that set piece defending and Strachan's memorable reference to uh, to the genetics of the Scotland squad. Yeah, absolutely.
0: A nation that size trying to succeed against the freakishly outside Slovenians are always going to be on a hiding to nothing. This is what he said.
4: Genetically, we're behind. With the last campaign, we were the second smallest apart for Spain. So that means we had to pick a team tonight that kind of try and combat the height and strength. Even at that, we couldn't combat the height and strength at set plays. So genetically, we have to work at things. I don't know. If we get big women and men together, see what we can do. Um, but it is a problem for us because we have to fight harder for every ball and jump high on anybody else because it's easier for these kind of guys. Is it a question of genetics,
5: right? I wonder, or is it a question of nurture and uh, nutrition and less lack of sun? I don't know, Rafford. These are
0: valid questions. In the last campaign, we were the second smallest squad behind Spain, who notoriously really struggle at international level as, as well.
2: Uh, and also, who are, the, uh, who are the tallest nation in Europe, on average? You sound like you know. I'd say Norway. No. England? No. Finland? No, it's Holland, who ah. are not doing particularly well at international level last time I checked. Genetically ahead.
0: <laughs> Scotland's FA had to uh, negotiate uh, with the Slovenians to allow their supporters to bring bankpipes, this is true, into the, the stadium. But even if they hadn't, they would have had a small windbag who, when <laughs> faced with a hard press, would admit a strange, <laughs> but for some people, comforting noise. <laughs> you, what do you make of it, Jack?
1: The quote, you can't change our genetics. I mean, there might be a point there that Scotland are, are small and he wants them bigger to defend set pieces. The other phrase I've seen Messi's, quoted... Yeah. Genetically, we have to work at things, which smacks of weird management speak and (laughs) slight surfeit of ambition, I think.
0: Or a really ambitious programme by the Scottish FA. Uh, Well, Andy McNeil just tweeted us a picture of Andy Murray, which, you know, genetically, big, impressive, best in the world, all that kind of thing. Um, How does this rank, Rafa, among the greatest excuses of... In football, I always think of Walter Mazzari blaming the rain for losing to Verona, who presumably had umbrellas or something. Um, other famous footballing excuses include do you remember Ukraine defender Vladislav Vashuk after uh, his side got beaten 4 0 by Spain at the 2006 World Cup? He said it was because the players hadn't slept the night before because of the frogs croaking outside their hotel. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a favourite excuse?
5: Bertie Fuchs in '98, ah. Germany beaten beaten 3 0 by Croatia, said that there was an international conspiracy against Germany because they had been so successful in the past that uh, forces had
0: conspired to uh, pack them down a level or two. Right. Or well, Mourinho esque, that. Do, sorry, Michael, were you about to leap in with a favourite footballing excuse? Oh, just the classic one, I think, is the United
2: Grey Shirts of Southampton. Although they're 3 0 down at half time and then changed to blue and white and won the second half 1 0, so maybe he had a point.
0: Perhaps so. Perhaps one man's excuse is actually just another man thinking outside the box. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Scotland very much staying at home then. They're staying home, they're staying home, Scotland's staying home is indeed what the England fans were singing singing in Vilnius as, as they celebrated their triumphant passage uh, to Russia. Uh, you enjoyed these two games, did you, uh, Michael? <laughs> How much do England fans really have to sing about, I ask you?
2: Yeah, the games weren't enjoyable. I mean, they got the job done twice um, in, in slightly unconvincing circumstances, two goals from Harry Kane. And I think probably that's what England are going to have to look to, really. You look through that team, I don't think we've got any top-class performers with the exception of Kane, who, you know, increasingly has been talked about as, you know, rightly so, as one of the best goal scorers in Europe. Um, but England have got a very good record in qualification. I mean, since the failure in 2008, we've qualified every time. And we've only lost uh, one game, and that game was so irrelevant. I don't know if you remember it, James. That it wasn't shown on TV. Ah! <laughs> and it was shown on internet only yeah. with a presenter called James Richardson. That's right. That was so funny. Do you know who the pundit was? Uh, it was uh, Mr. Gorin Eriksson. It certainly was. That? Did you watch that then? Uh, no, you. No. <laughs> yeah, that was the viewing You're figure. So ahead of your time then, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, just internet only. No, but I did go back and... Because I, I thought it was that game and I went back and I, I read some reviews of uh, yeah. the performance. They were more critical of, of Sven than England or you, if that helps. Right. Um... Yeah. James Richardson, not as bad as England.
0: <laughs> not as bad <laughs> as England. <laughs> England, though, to be fair, are pretty bad. As a pair of games, some people calling it some of the worst England performances or least inspiring they'd ever seen. What, what do you think?
2: I think that's a little bit much. I think the funny thing about that game was Slovenia had to win. So I, I think it was slightly surprising how deep they sat and England, who were content with the draw, mm. didn't really have to force the issue. So there was a little bit of... You know, is it worth England going for it? That said, I do think that they lack the tools to break down a deep defence. And I think they rely a little bit too much on Adam Lalana to just basically get good passing combinations going. I think this, the second game against Lithuania was slightly different. England played a back three for the first time in a competitive game for about 10 years, um, which I think is probably the plan for the World Cup. Southgate intimated he was going to use it in the two friendlies against Germany and Brazil next month. I think there was also a positive because Harry Winks came into the side and I think in an admittedly uncompetitive field was England's best performer. He's just a very intelligent player. Positionally, he's good. He uses the ball intelligently. Um, he's a kind of player that will improve the team and yet England fans will spend the next 10 years saying, but what does he actually do? Yeah. Like Owen Hargreaves and Michael Carrick and, and lots of other players we've overlooked. But that was more positive than the than the first game.
0: Okay. In general, do you feel that... Um, Gareth Southgate is actually taking things up a level or two. Albion Smudge for example saying, is it just me that dreams of Gareth getting caught in a big Sam style sting?
2: There's almost no point having a go at Gareth Southgate. I mean, he he barely wanted the job when he took it, you mm-hmm. know, when um when Allardyce was dismissed. I don't think anyone thinks that Southgate is a is a top level manager, but he was the best appointment at that time and I think it's probably worthwhile just persisting with him until the World Cup, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not an argue- no one is arguing that Southgate is a, is a top-level manager, but he's, he's he's a lovely chap. Though. Well, he's developing the team. He's, mm. he's bringing through youngsters. I think he's he's vaguely doing what he should be doing, considering he's um, a bit of an emergency appointment.
0: Really nice, plenty of positives then for England. All right, friendlies with Germany and Brazil coming up in November. Uh, Wales and Ireland are playing off tonight ahead of the, you know, real playoffs and that, uh, which will also feature Northern Ireland, of course, despite their loss in Norway, thanks to Scotland's defeat. They are definitely into November's uh, do-or-die head-to-head qualifying set of matches. Hmm. All right, here's a bit of music, and then we get on to the meaty stuff.
6: Every single day, millions of people go online to search for local businesses. The question is, though, does your small business show up? Well, when you create a website on WordPress.com, you make it easier for your customers to find you, to connect with you, to hear how you can help them. Your business needs an online home. It needs a WordPress.com website. You too can choose from hundreds of beautiful template designs and boost your visibility with WordPress's built-in search engine optimization and their social sharing tools. So don't mess around with that other web building company that you've been hearing about on every single podcast since the dawn of time. Get started today with 15% off any new plan you purchase. Just head to wordpress.com slash football to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash football for 15% off your brand new website. wordpress.com slash
0: football. Here's a question. Anthony Abdul says, why can Rafa never return to Norwich? And then you replied, Rafa. This is an urban myth. What's going on here? I think I once
5: told a story um, of going to Norwich to see Bayern play in the UEFA Cup, uh, when Norwich um, knocked out Bayern in that famous, uh, famous run they had. And uh, and suffering a bit of a uh, unfortunate um, relapse, I had an open wound on my shin, which opened up again uh, in the night I spent at the uh, bed and breakfast, and I left this bed full of blood and. I probably told a story uh, to the effect that I can't really show my face ever again in Norwich, but right. it's not a technical term mm. or uh, or some kind of ban that's right. uh, but put on the me. Risk to you? my knowledge,
1: it's all very Alan Partridge, that isn't it? <laughs> Is it? It, it, he has bleeding shins I don't know I missed that sorry, do. a famous the bleeding kind of foot
0: yeah oh did he I, I, I missed that one
2: it's the opening anecdote in uh, your first book if I'm right saying, exactly yeah
0: yes bingo hey speaking of books Alex says the only page in zonal markings the mixer with P before it was 302 CFAX nod yes it was did he get a prize uh, well
2: someone else has already spotted it and it was fittingly someone who used to
0: work for CFAX brilliant which I quite liked yeah. okay nice one um Listeners, ask your folks about CFAX. They'll, they'll explain. David McNally, hey, this is a good question. If each league had to make a football team out of the current top division managers, which country would win? He, he reckons City out. I have to say, ooh, I don't know if City out would, but I think Italian. Now, is it the league that does it, or do you do a, a team based on a nationality's managers? In which case, I think Italy would be doing really well. Well, England wouldn't be. Yeah. So who, who are Shakespeare in net, though, as David McNally points out. Who
2: have Italy got?
0: Montella. You, you've got Conte. You've got. Uh,
2: oh, not just in Serie A. You yeah, mean. I'm thinking like okay, Italians who
0: right, are yeah. first division managers, which Let's I completely see. misunderstood the question. Which he, what he's actually saying, your first division managers. I mean, yeah, boy, that's going to take a bit of thinking. We'll we'll get back to you on that, David. Did like the question though, Mark Ridley. Here's another notional one. If you could invent a country in which continent would you place it to give you the best chance of progressing to these World Cup finals That's Jack
1: I, I've looked at this and I ah. think the answer will change when the World Cup expansion happens and I think the answer is, is South America because for the 2026 World Cup 6 of 10 teams will qualify Right, 60% obviously the Did other
0: Argentina get to that one?
1: Well, it depends if Messi is still playing. I yeah. guess hobbling around, but the other uh, federations. Obviously, this is very rough, and you know a lot of South American teams are relatively good uh, relative to teams other federations. But UEFA will have twenty nine percent of teams will qualify. Oceania, 9% only, and the remaining federation, 17%. So
0: Yeah, but it's not just the number of teams that go through, it's the teams that you're up against battling to be part of that percentage. But it's interesting that you say that South America will be the, the easiest group. At the moment, they're not, are they?
1: I think this edition is a, a slight outlier and that the quality okay. hasn't been massively high. We'll
0: hear more about South American qualifying later on, because right now it's time to celebrate a team that is going through, despite being in a tough group containing Croatia, Ukraine and Turkey. And that's right. I'm talking about Iceland. Croatia's 1-1 draw at home to Finland means that uh, Strakhania Oka, our boys, Michael, are going to be in Russia. And that's good news for Stefan Augustson who joins us now from Iceland. Hi, Stefan. Hello.
7: Hello. What a weekend of emotions for you, eh? Yeah, very fun weekend. I've been uh, celebrating. Quite a lot. Even though we aren't technically at the World Cup, I'm going to put my neck out there and say that uh, we are going to the World Cup. I know it's risky, but that's at least how I feel. What do you still need? Well, it depends on other results. Uh, Croatia and Ukraine are playing tonight, so one of them will drop points. But we are top of the group, and a win tonight at home against Kosovo will send us to the World Cup. Uh Well, first of all, there was
0: Croatia drawing at home to Finland, and then you guys went and beat... Turkey away 3-0 back when you guys qualified for the Euros I think there was a certain amount of uh, almost like a patronising reaction like well done to the the plucky Icelanders but this is now back-to-back major tournaments and the result in Turkey just underlines how dangerous this team is for anyone who just knows Gylfi Sugatan who should they be watching out for?
7: Well, Gilves is our, our best player, our, our main quality player. I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's our most important player. I would say our most important player is probably our captain, Aaron uh, Gunnarsson, who plays uh, who plays in the championship in England. Uh, he's our leader. He's, you know, marshalling the team. And and uh, I would say he's probably our most irreplaceable player um but the thing about Iceland, it's it's not a team built of one quality player or a superstar. We we, we kinda had that ten years ago when we had a you know, a bunch of semi pro players who weren't technically gifted and then we have Ida Johnson up front who was trying to create everything himself. That's not the way the team is now. The team is strong work ethic determined group of players who are playing as a team and uh that's why we've accomplished so much i think you're right it's not a fluke uh we got to the euros and people said you know oh the euros are expanding that's why it's been easier for these small nations to get in is it ruining the euros blah 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 all this stuff We first of all would have qualified without the expansion, but in the last three qualifying uh, groups, we've we obviously went to the playoffs last time for the World Cup qualifying where we lost to Croatia. Then we made it to the Euros and now we're qualified for the World Cup, which is how I'm thinking about it. And uh, and Croatia is finishing beneath us. So a little bit of payback there.
2: Um, hello, Stefan. I was just wondering, is the, is the final game a formality? Because it's at home to Kosovo. But looking at their results, they only lost 1-0 away to Croatia, only 2-0 away to Turkey. All those goals were in the second half. And the reverse fixture um, between Kosovo and Iceland was only a 2-1 win. So they may be more resilient than one might think. Is that fair?
7: I mean, it's completely fair in international soccer. There's nothing ever, nothing's ever given. But uh, after the game on Friday, I, I I decided we have qualified for the World Cup. So uh, I, I, I think we're going to win tonight. I, we were in a similar situation um, qualifying for the Euros last time where we had a game against Kazakhstan at home and we needed to get at least a point to qualify. And it was a nervy uh, nil-nil in the end. And it looked like the pressure kind of got to them. But The coaching staff and the players have been talking about how they've learned from that mistake. And they're going into this game very seriously. And, you know, Kosovo has one point in the group and we should be beating them. And if we can't do that, I guess we don't deserve to go to the World Cup. But it's not a formality, but I think the players are going to show up and and really make us proud. And, I mean, even Kosovo, you think of a Kosovo, you know, a country in Europe. It still has a population, what, seven times bigger than Iceland. So it, it shouldn't be a formality. Speaking of the Icelandic population,
0: uh, Stefan, are they getting a bit blasé? Was this Has this been the same reaction to this
7: weekend's events that we saw from when you qualified for the Euros? I think people didn't expect this, but you're right. It, it hasn't been as crazy of a reaction as when we qualified for the Euros. That was obviously our first major tournament ever. No one expected that an Icelandic team could do this you know old people were crying they never thought this would happen in their you know lifetimes it was it was beautiful i think this time it's just been more people have been in disbelief because before the game on friday i mean no one was expecting croatia to drop points at home to finland no one was really expecting us to beat turkey people were saying maybe take a point but the complete you know domination of that game and and being in this situation People are just kind of realizing what's going on, and uh, well, there will definitely be celebration tonight. Right. Um, again, I hope. I know this. People will listen to this after the game, and maybe we lost, and then I'm uh, I'm an idiot, but uh, <laughs> well, that's at least how I feel. <laughs> Stefan, let's uh, Well, fingers crossed, eh? Hey? Not least because it'd be a
0: fascinating rematch with England at Russia, eh? Anyway, <laughs> I hope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll stand by to see what happens with crossover uh, this evening. One of the other top stories this weekend, without question, were the Netherlands, unfortunately. And uh, Jack M saying, anything funnier this international break than Advocat laughing off a reporter's idea that Sweden might win 8-0? Did you see this press conference? Poor chap. I mean, to recap, Luxembourg had just held uh, France to a 0-0 draw and it was always going to come down, it looked like two-goal difference for the Netherlands with Sweden... But uh, yeah, they won't win 8 0. What a stupid question that is. 8 0. Well, no, I don't believe that, says Dick Advocate when asked by a Dutch reporter. And they promptly did just that. The eighth goal from Ola Teuvenen, pretty special, no? Did you not see I it? didn't see it, no. Oh, it's, it's really Beautiful, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of things that's. Uh, was it Sunderland he was at?
2: Yes. Briefly, yes. Briefly.
0: Right, yeah, Dick Advocate took him there. Yeah, anyway, uh, he won't be taking Holland to the World Cup, and that's a big. Shame. Spain, duh, are through and that group. Italy went and got held to a 1-1 draw by Macedonia. They are definitely through, I think, to a playoff now, though, uh, thanks to other results. And there's still some questions. A lot of people are asking about Giampiero Ventura's future, particularly with Ancelotti now on the market. I think, barring something absolutely extraordinary against Albania, Albania rather, this evening, uh, that the uh, FIGC will just plough on with Ventura until it's far too late to do anything about it. We'll talk more about that on Thursday perhaps once that game's been played. Portugal and Switzerland have a huge match coming up. Portugal are sure of at least making the playoffs, uh, but they're going to be at home on Tuesday to Switzerland. They're three points behind Switzerland. The Swiss have just beaten Hungary 5-2 in Basel, their ninth straight qualifying win. So they're doing pretty well. Uh, Rafa, Germany... A 5-1 win over Azerbaijan, wasn't it, this last one? It was. Yeah, and then previously the victory over Northern Ireland. I love that Leon Goretzka goal. You didn't seem that bothered about it. No, it's a very nice goal. Mm. Did you see this one, Michael? No, sorry. Tell him about him. Well, the ball fell to him after a corner, and
5: uh, he was facing the wrong direction, so he improvised with a uh, back heel. But the interesting thing about that one was that he kind of smashed it on the half-volley. So rather than your regulation back here, which kind of trickles in, this one really went high up, almost mm, roof into the net. roof, almost into roof yeah. of the net, which made it look very good. I mean, Germany in the first half were a little bit shaky. You could see that that uh, very experimental three-three-three-one system that they were playing uh, without any uh, defensive-wide players. It took a bit of time before it got going. But eventually, their, um, their just their sheer quality and... Um, and the movement up front uh, overwhelmed Azerbaijan. What was really interesting is that Germany, when they lost the ball, uh, pressed really, really effectively. And of course, you know, Azerbaijan did not have the technical players to to get out of that press and completely surrendered the ball immediately. And Germany looked looked pretty good. Um, you know, Azerbaijan. Of course, you have to make allowances for the quality or lack of the opposition, but. This was another encouraging performance for, for Löw, who almost seems to have the problem that everybody would love to have in his place, which is too many players to choose from. Um, he will have a really hard time finding the right uh, midfield combination, deciding who he wants to play up front, who his creative players will be. The only problem that he has is the, the fullback positions where there's Joshua Kimmich on the right and no one really on the left and also no natural backup for, for Kimmich mm. unless Benjamin Henrichs um, continues to to improve at Leverkusen but that, that's been Germany's Achilles heel for a long long time now ever since Philipp Lahm moved from the left to the right um, there's been no one on the left who's anywhere near uh, on the same level with the possible ex- exception of Marcel Schmelzer of Dortmund but for some reason Löw just not does not like him mm. and just refuses to call him up again.
0: But you're still world champions, uh, even with that Achilles heel. Uh, oh, I noticed Mustafi went off. Uh, how serious is that injury? Uh, a,
5: it seems to be a pretty bad one. Um, it seems to be a, a, a muscle tear of the, uh, the worst uh, sort. So it could be a couple of months if, right. uh, if it's as bad as, as first reported.
0: Also injured this week uh, on International duty. N'Golo in France's uh, win over Bulgaria. And, of course, Marouane Fellaini, who he did manage to get himself off the field, and I believe away from the stadium, but they were talking about some kind of knee strain, which is going to keep him out of the massive uh, fixture coming up when the Premier League returns this Saturday, Liverpool Man United. Wilfred Lawrence says, who would each of the pod uh, be calling favourites for the World Cup at this stage? Hard to look, says Wilfred, beyond Germany. And he agrees with you, Rafa, too much depth. Who would your favourite be, Jack?
1: Germany as well, right? I think they just—they have the mentality. Having there's a comfort level that comes with having won recent tournaments. That I think possibly reduces the pressure on the squad. Mm. I think if you look at the other people regarded as favourites, uh, Belgium, some people, Spain, Brazil, even. I think they'll all, they'll all have a touch more pressure on them, and I think that will probably make a difference. I see Germany as having the, the most complete squad and the most settled uh, structure, really.
0: Right, they've got the right genes, really. For the Spain, just too small, I suggest. <laughs> Michael?
2: Yeah, I'd go I'd go for Spain, despite that weakness, actually. Really? I think some of the players coming through are, are going to take them to the next level, and I think it's uh, almost a bit of a new generation now. They've, mm. they've obviously moved on from Xavi and Xavi Alonso um, after the last World Cup, and um, the likes of Coque and... Um, Marco Asensio. I just, uh, the way they destroyed Italy in uh, Madrid last month was quite spectacular.
0: It certainly was. Um, Germany then, Rafa. National side doing absolutely was it? Ten games, you've won them all, 43 goals scored, four goals conceded, looking pretty good. Why is German club football, when it ventures beyond its borders, faring so disastrously by comparison?
5: Well, it's a question that a lot of people are asking themselves, and uh, certainly Joachim Löw uh, made a point of saying this is um, this is very worrying. Uh, Germany had uh, for the last few years uh, a better record in, in in Europe than the Premier League, and now they've uh, they've relinquished that, and they're worried in a way that uh, Italy might even well uh, catch Italy up went with above them
0: in the UEFA coefficient for
5: for the year, yes. but yeah. we're talking about five years. Okay. Um, it doesn't really matter so much anymore with the new Champions League format coming in, mm. but it is an accurate reflection. I think where, where German club football stands, what they suffer a little bit from, I think, is the the openness of the league and the uh, kind of lack of hierarchy that you have. You have Bayern and you have Dortmund, and then it's it's wide open, and you have teams like Leipzig and Hoffenheim, who uh, not only um, haven't been played haven't played much in the top division at all, but are of course both in their first ever European campaigns. And right. you could see that that cleverness, that kind of uh, know-how to negotiate um, these, these trips is lacking a little bit. They're a little bit naive. They're a little bit um, weak when it comes to dealing with with kind of unforeseen stuff. And uh, But Bayern it, and Dortmund, who do have experience? Well, Bayern and Dortmund are... I, you have to look at them individually. and Bayern and Dortmund are still belong to the top 10 teams in Europe. There's very little question about that. Bayern, uh, with a bit of luck, can still challenge for the Champions League, albeit they're no longer uh, quite on the level that they were a few years ago. Uh, Dortmund have a problem with coming up against Spurs and, and Real Madrid. That's not going to do much for your uh, for your chances. I think they'll fare reasonably better against Apuel in the next couple of rounds. At uh, the same time. Is probably true of Bayern, who got Celtic in the next two rounds. So it is a bit of a snapshot. But I think it does, it does suggest that there is, there is a problem because there really shouldn't be a reason why Freiburg or Hertha fare as badly against the, the teams that they played against. They are, despite you know, not being the richest and the most prolific teams in terms of individual quality, should really have enough to, to get through the likes of Ostersund, and Dom Jale, I think, who who knocked out Freiburg, so that that is where I think the real criticism will come in.
0: Are people in Germany though pointing to this as a kind of sign of an incipient decline or something, or is it just regarded as a an off season?
5: It's hard to answer that. I think you have to almost go team by team. Certainly, Bayern, there is very much a debate about their decline this right. year, and uh, and a wider debate, of course, whether they can continue to. Uh, or, or come back to the same level without spending huge amounts of money.
0: Could they if they wanted to?
5: They could if they wanted to spend spend big money. They could if they wanted to gone and broke the bank and get Alexis Sanchez, but they refused to pay the kind of wages that, that uh, he wanted. They refused to, I think, even think about spending 60 or 70 million euros or a player who was out of contract the next season. The question is can they um, make up for that deficit? by better coaching by more togetherness by mentality by all these little things tactics that you can influence that don't necessarily cost a lot of money the answer is yes potentially but obviously not this season because uh this is a very much a damage limitation exercise with your is coming in today he was unveiled today hmm. uh, as a makeshift uh, caretaker just to bring a bit of peace and tranquility uh into the club and we're not just even we're not even talking about the dressing room we're talking about the people above him mm. um, so he's got a lot of work
0: to do How serious is the split? It's between what? Oli Hoernis and uh, Kanans Rummenigge
5: Right It's uh, its pretty bad I mean they've never they've never really seen eye to eye on many things but they used to have this this kind of power share agreement uh, despite all his problems kind of managed to steer Bayern in the right direction they would often Frustrate themselves, but somehow as a whole they would they would make more right decisions than wrong ones this this particular um, Time uh, in in history there. There's a problem because Ole has come back after his jail sentence and expected I think to take over where he left off in the meantime, Karnes Rummenigge had, had gained more power, had gained a lo- lot of respect as well for making some very pragmatic decisions uh, but Uh, crucially he got the appointment of Ancelotti wrong uh, and now Hoene's thinks um, now it's down to me to make the right appointment for the next coach Mm. Uh, he very much pushed for Julian Nagelsmann Um, they couldn't do it for a number of reasons Uh, and what Heinke's um, appointment allows them to do is just play a bit for time and uh, and really go for Nagelsmann in the summer when uh, it's much more realistic and also when when uh, I think Carlin's Rummenigge would be more meanable having uh, contacted Thomas Tuchel uh, as his preferred choice. And uh, my understanding is that Tuchel turned Bayern down uh, on the basis of not really
0: It's the Totally Football Show International Edition. Yes, road to Russia. And from England to Egypt, who we'll go out to in the last 16, thanks to a Deli Alley rig card and the Henderson Metatarsal, we've got it all rounded up like my height on a dating profile. There's good news for three Lions supporters. They were folding early doors, but then superior wing play helped them enjoy new heights. That was the paper darts, of course. But not good news for Scotland, who become the first team ever to fail because they were using the wrong genes. Elsewhere, we'll hear from happy fans in Iceland and the United States of America, and we'll rub our eyes and pinch ourselves once again as we ask, are they really going to have to have a World Cup without Argentina? That and your questions. It is the Totally Football Show. And hello, Raphael Honigstein on this Totally Football Show. Hello, James. Hey there, you refreshed... I am refreshed. Thank you very much. Okay, I love the international break. Yeah, me too. Some international breaks maybe a little bit of a, a kind of handbrake on on the exciting forward momentum of club football, and its narrative. But this, I think, has been very very exciting, f- full of do or die antics and, and all sorts of daring do. I, I put it to you, Jack Lang, and it hasn't finished yet, has it?
1: No, still plenty to come mm. in uh, many continents. So. Ecuador-Argentina. You
0: were urging us to, to stay up for Peru-Argentina when we la- when last we spoke. I didn't myself.
1: Did I miss much? You didn't miss any goals, but you missed a, a very dramatic evening, and I'm sure there'll be more of the same.
0: Absolutely. Messi poised on the brink of missing out on the next World Cup. It's Michael Cox. Hello, James. Hello there. You've been busy this weekend, haven't you?
2: Uh, just watching football. Two, two very uh, comfortable victories for England.
0: Mm. It's what you do. Nice. International break, then, for some... It sounded like this.
1: Brian for others, Brian like this. El Mundial!
2: El Mundial!
6: El Mundial!
0: El That's right. Scotland didn't make it to the World Cup, just like Jim Burt warned us, Jack. It's the hope that does you, and there was plenty of hope here, wasn't there, for Gordon Strachan's crew?
1: Uh, yes and no. I mean, when they when they took the lead, people had, I guess, hope that there'd be another one nil win. Strachan's made a made a habit of winning these these kind of games one nil, twelve one nil wins. As Scotland manager, an exquisite finish from Lee Griffiths really really was. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, I recommend you finding it somewhere legal. Uh, A lovely finished ball coming over his shoulder. Amazing technique, really. So at at that point, yeah, sure, there was a bit of hope, but the performance was not great, even when they were ahead. Slovenia were creating a lot of chances. Scotland looked a little bit stodgy, I think. Chris Martin got the nod up front, but didn't do a great deal. And Slovenia changed things up at half-time. They put on Roman Bezjak. The game just started slipping out of Scotland's fingers, really. Mm -hmm. They they were never really dominant in possession they weren't creating a lot of chances so I think if you're 1-0 up you have to defend impeccably to get a result in a game like that and they they did not
0: they certainly didn't did they do you think nerves got to them particularly the second Slovenia goal
1: Uh, perhaps I think well they were both set pieces they were both I think situations that Strachan might have expected his team to deal with neither was a was you know a particularly great goal and the reaction to the Scotland players after the second kind of heads in hands really did tell the story it wasn't wasn't pretty from either side, really. Slovenia aren't a, a superb side, but Scotland, even when they needed a goal in response at the end, could well, the, only.
0: There the was once again hope, wasn't there? It was with a cross, but they were very well taken equaliser.
1: Yeah, it was a very nice finish. And actually, that actually very easily could have been the winner because mm. Darren Fletcher missed a sitter a couple of minutes before that. Uh, and then so afterwards, it was just left for another post mortem from that set piece defending and Strachan's memorable. Reference to uh, to the genetics of the Scotland squad. Yeah, absolutely.
0: A nation that size trying to succeed against the freakishly outside Slovenians are always going to be on a hiding to nothing. This is what
4: he said. Genetically, we're behind. The, With the last campaign, we were the second smallest, apart from Spain. So that means we have to pick a team tonight that kind of try and combat the height and strength. Even at that, we couldn't combat the height and strength that set place. So genetically, we have to work at things. I don't know. If we get big women and men together. See what we can do. Um, but it is a problem for us because we have to fight harder for every ball and jump higher on anybody else because it's easier for these kind of guys. Is it it's, a question of great.
5: genetics, I wonder, or is it a question of nurture and uh, nutrition and less lack of sun? I don't know, think These
0: are valid questions. In the last campaign, we were the second smallest squad behind Spain, who notoriously really struggle at international level as as well.
2: Uh, And also, who are the the tallest nation in Europe, on average? You sound like you know. I'd say Norway. No. England? No. Finland? No, it's Holland, who Ah. are not doing particularly well at international level last time I checked. Genetically ahead.
0: (laughs) Scotland's FA had to uh, negotiate uh, with the Slovenians to allow their supporters to bring bankpipes, this is true, into the, the stadium. But even if they hadn't, they would have had a small windbag who, when <laughs> faced with a hard press, would emit a strange, <laughs> but for some people, comforting noise. <laughs> you, what do you make of it, Jack?
1: The quote, you can't change our genetics. I mean, there might be a point there that Scotland are, are small and he wants them bigger to defend set pieces. The other phrase Le-no-mises, I've seen quoted... Yeah. Genetically, we have to work at things, which smacks of weird management speak and (laughs) slight surfeit of ambition, I think.
0: Or a really ambitious programme by the Scottish FA. Uh, Well, Andy McNeil just tweeted us a picture of Andy Murray, which, you know, genetically, big, impressive, best in the world, all that kind of thing. Um, How does this rank, Rafa, among the greatest excuses of... In football, I always think of Walter Mazzari blaming the rain for Inter losing to Verona, who presumably had umbrellas or something. Um, other famous footballing excuses include: Do you remember Ukraine defender Vladislav Vashuk after uh, his side got beaten four nil by Spain at the 2006 World Cup? He said it was because the players hadn't slept the night before because of the frogs croaking outside their hotel. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um,
4: do you have a favourite Bertie excuse?
5: Fultz, Bertie Fawkes in 98, ah. Germany beaten beaten 3-0 by Croatia, said that there was an international conspiracy against Germany because they had been so successful in the past that uh, forces had conspired to uh, pack them down a level or two. Right.
2: Well, Mourinho-esque, that. Do, sorry, Michael, were you about to leap in with a favourite footballing excuse? Just the classic one, I think, is the United grey shirts at Southampton. Although they're 3-0 down at half-time and then changed to blue and white and won the second half 1-0, so maybe he had a point.
0: Perhaps so. Perhaps one man's excuse is actually just another man thinking outside the box. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, Scotland very much staying at home then. They're staying home, they're staying home, Scotland's staying home is indeed what the England fans were singing singing in Vilnius as, as they celebrated their triumphant passage uh, to Russia. Uh, you enjoyed these two games, did you, uh, Michael? <laughs> How much do England fans really have to sing about, I ask you?
2: Yeah, the games weren't enjoyable. I mean, they got the job done twice, Um, in in slightly unconvincing circumstances, two goals from Harry Kane. And I think probably that's what England are going to have to look to, really. You look through that team, I don't think we've got any top-class performers with the exception of Kane, who, you know, increasingly has been talked about as, you know, rightly so, as one of the best goal scorers in Europe. Um, But England have got a very good record in qualification. I mean, since the failure in 2008, we've qualified every time. And we've only lost uh, one game, and that game was so irrelevant. I don't know if you remember it, James, that it wasn't shown on TV. Ah! <laughs> and it was shown on internet only yeah. with a presenter called James Richardson. That's right. That was so funny. Do you know who the pundit was? Uh, it was uh, Mr. Sven Gorin Eriksson. It certainly was. It was. Did you watch that then? Uh, it was no. You. No. <laughs> yeah, that was the viewing You're figure. So ahead of your time then. Really? James. Yeah, yeah, just internet only. No, but I did go back and, because I thought it was that game, and I went back and I, I read some reviews of uh, yeah. the performers. They were more critical of, of Sven than England or you if that helps. Right. Um yeah. James Richardson, not as bad as England. <laughs>
0: not as bad <laughs> as England. <laughs> England though, to be fair, are pretty bad. As a pair of games, some people are calling it some of the worst England performances or least inspiring they'd ever seen. What what do you think?
2: I think that's a little bit much. I think the funny thing about that game was Slovenia had to win. So I I think it was slightly surprising how deep they sat. And England, who were content with the draw, Mm. didn't really have to force the issue. So there was a little bit of, you know, is it worth England going for it? That said, I do think that they lack the tools to break down a deep defense. And I think they rely a little bit too much on Adam Lallana to just basically get good passing combinations going. I think this the second game against Lithuania was slightly different. England played a back three for the first time in a competitive game for about 10 years, um, which I think is probably the plan for the World Cup. Southgate intimated he was going to use it in the two friendlies against Germany and Brazil next month. I think there was also a positive because Harry Winks came into the side and I think in an admittedly uncompetitive field was England's best performer. He's just a very intelligent player. Positionally, he's good. He uses the ball intelligently. Um, he's the kind of player that will improve the team and yet England fans will spend the next 10 years saying but what does he actually do yeah. like Owen Hargreaves and Michael Carrick and, and lots of other players we've overlooked but that was more positive than the, than the first game
0: OK in general do you feel that um, Gareth Southgate is actually taking things up a level or two Albion Smudge for example saying is it just me that dreams of Gareth getting caught in a Big Sam style sting
2: there's almost no point having a go at Gareth Southgate I mean he he barely wanted the job when he took it you mm. know when um when Allardyce was dismissed, I don't think anyone thinks that Southgate is a is a top level manager. But he was the best appointment at that time, and I think it's probably worthwhile just persisting with him until the World Cup. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not. An, no one is arguing that Southgate is a, is a top level manager, but he's. He's, he's a lovely chap, though. Well, he's developing the team. He's, mm. he's bringing through youngsters. I think he's, he's vaguely doing what he should be doing, considering he's um, a bit of an emergency appointment,
0: really. Nice. Plenty of positives, then, for England. All right, friendlies with Germany and Brazil coming up in November. Uh, Wales and Ireland are playing off tonight... Ahead of the, you know, real playoffs and that uh, Which will also feature Northern Ireland, of course Despite their loss in Norway Thanks to Scotland's defeat They are definitely into November's uh, Do or die head-to-head qualifying set of matches Hmm. All right, here's a bit of music And then we get on to the meaty stuff
6: Every single day, millions of people go online to search for local businesses. The question is, though, does your small business show up? Well, when you create a website on WordPress.com, you make it easier for your customers to find you, to connect with you, to hear how you can help them. Your business needs an online home. It needs a WordPress.com website. You, too, can choose from hundreds of beautiful template designs and boost your visibility with WordPress's built-in search engine optimization and their social sharing tools. So don't mess around with that other web building company that you've been hearing about on every single podcast since the dawn of time. Get started today with 15% off any new plan you purchase. Just head to wordpress.com football to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com football for 15% off your brand new website. wordpress.com football.
0: Here's a question. Anthony Abdul says, why can Rafa never return to Norwich? And then you've replied, Rafa. <laughs> this is an urban myth. What's going on here? I think I once told a
5: story um, of going
0: to Norwich to see Bayern play
5: in the UEFA Cup, uh, when Norwich um, knocked out Bayern in that famous, uh, famous run they had. And uh, and suffering a bit of a uh, unfortunate um, relapse, I had an open wound on my shin which opened up again uh, in the night I spent at the uh, bed and breakfast, and I left this bed full of blood and. I probably told a story uh, to the effect that I can't really show my face ever again in Norwich, but right. it's not a technical term mm. or uh, or some kind of ban that's right. uh, been why put on the me. Risky? To my knowledge,
1: it's all very Alan Partridge, that isn't it? <laughs> Is it? It, it, he has bleeding shins I don't know I missed well, that. I do, a
2: famous bleeding kind of foot
0: yeah oh did he I, I, I missed that one
2: it's the opening anecdote in uh, your first book if I'm right
0: saying, Exactly. It? Yeah. exactly yes bingo hey speaking of books Alex says the only page in zonal markings the mixer with P before it was 302 CFAX nod yes it was did he get a prize uh, well someone else has already spotted
2: it and it was fittingly someone who used to work for CFAX brilliant which
0: I quite liked mm-hmm. yeah. okay nice one um Listeners, ask your folks about CFAX. They'll, they'll explain. David McNally, hey, this is a good question. If each league had to make a football team out of the current top division managers, which country would win? He, he reckons City out. I have to say, oh, I don't know if City A would, but I think Italian. Now, is it the league that does it, or do you do a, a team based on a nationality's managers? In which case, I think Italy would be doing really well. Well, England wouldn't be. Yeah. So, who have who Shakespeare in net, though, as David McNally points out.
2: Who have Italy got? Montella?
0: You, you've got Conte, you've got... Uh,
2: oh, not just in Serie A, you Yeah, mean. I'm thinking like, okay, Italians who
0: right, yeah. our first division managers, which I completely misunderstood the question, which he, what he's actually saying, your first division managers, I mean, yeah, boy, that's going to take a bit of thinking. We'll, we'll get back to you on that, David. did like the question, though. Mark Ridley, here's another notional one. If you could invent a country... In which continent would you place it to give you the best chance of progressing to these World Cup finals? That's Jack?
1: I, I've looked at this, and I ah. think the answer will change when the World Cup expansion happens, and I think the answer is, is South America, because for the 2026 World Cup, six of ten teams will qualify. Right. 60%, obviously. The will other... Argentina get to that one? Well, it depends if Messi is still playing, I yeah. guess, hobbling around, but... The other uh, federations, obviously, this is very rough, and you know a lot of South American teams are relatively good uh, relative to teams other the federations. But UEFA will have twenty nine percent of teams will qualify, Oceania nine percent only, and the remaining federations seventeen percent. So
0: yeah, but it's not just the number of teams who go through; it's the teams that you're up against, battling to be part of that percentage. But it's interesting that you say that South America will be the, the easiest group at the moment. They're not, are they?
1: I think this edition is a, a slight outlier and that the quality okay. hasn't been massively high.
0: We'll hear more about South American qualifying later on because right now it's time to celebrate a team that is going through, despite being in a tough group containing Croatia, Ukraine and Turkey. And that's right. I'm talking about Iceland. Croatia's 1-1 draw at home to Finland means that uh, Stracania, Oka, our boys, Michael, are going to be... In Russia. And that's good news for Stefan Augustson, who joins us now from Iceland. Hi, Stefan. Hello. Hello. What a weekend of emotions for you, eh?
7: Yeah, very fun weekend. I've been uh, celebrating quite a lot, even though we aren't technically at the World Cup. I'm going to put my neck out there and say that uh, we are going to the World Cup. I know it's risky, but that's at least how I feel. What do you still need? Well, it depends on other results. Uh, Croatia and Ukraine are playing tonight, so one of them will drop points. But We are top of the group and a win tonight at home against Kosovo will send us to the World Cup. Uh Well, first
0: of all, there was Croatia drawing at home to Finland and then you guys went and beat Turkey away 3-0. Back when you guys qualified for the Euros, I think there was a certain amount of uh, almost like a patronising reaction or like well done to the the plucky Icelanders. But this is now back-to-back major tournaments and the result in Turkey just underlines how dangerous this team is. For anyone who just knows Gilfi Sugatan, who should they be watching out for?
7: Well, Gilve is our, our best player, our, our main quality player. I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's our most important player. I would say our most important player is probably our captain, Aaron uh, Gunnarsson, who plays uh, who plays in the championship in England. Uh, he's our leader. He's, you know, marshalling the team. And, and uh, I would say he's probably our most irreplaceable player. Um, but the thing about Iceland, it's it's not a team built of one quality player or a superstar. We 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 kind of had that ten years ago when we had a, you know, a bunch of semi-pro players who weren't technically gifted, and then we have Eidur Johnson up front who was trying to create everything himself. That's not the way the team is now. The team is strong work ethic, determined group of players who are playing as a team. And uh, that's why we've accomplished so much. I think you're right. It's not a fluke. Uh, We got to the Euros and people said, you know, oh, the Euros are expanding. That's why it's been easier for these small nations to get in. Is it ruining the Euros? Blah, 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 all this stuff. We first of all, would have qualified without the expansion. But in the last three qualifying uh, groups, we've we obviously went to the playoffs last time for the World Cup qualifying where we lost to Croatia, then we made it to the euros. And now we're qualified for the World Cup, which is how I'm thinking about it. and uh, and Croatia's finishing beneath us, so a little bit of payback there.
2: Um, hello, Stefan. I was just wondering, is the, is the final game a formality? Because it's home to Kosovo. But looking at their results, they only lost 1-0 away to Croatia, only 2-0 away to Turkey. All those goals were in the second half. And the reverse fixture um, between Kosovo and Iceland was only a 2-1 win. So they may be more resilient than one might think. Is that fair?
7: I mean it's completely fair in international soccer there's nothing ever, nothing's ever given but uh, after the game on Friday I, I I decided we have qualified for the World Cup so uh, I, I think we're going to win tonight I, we were in a similar situation um, qualifying for the Euros last time where we had a game against Kazakhstan at home and we needed to get at least a point to qualify and it was a nervy uh, nil-nil in the end and it looked like the pressure kind of got to them but The coaching staff and the players have been talking about how they've learned from that mistake, and they're going into this game very seriously, and, you know, Kosovo has one point in the group, and we should be beating them, and if we can't do that, I guess we don't deserve to go to the World Cup, but it's not a formality, but I think the players are going to show up and and really make us proud, and, I mean, even Kosovo, you think of a Kosovo, you know, a country in Europe, it still has a population, what, seven times bigger than Iceland? So it, it shouldn't be a formality. Speaking of the Icelandic population, uh, Stefan, are they getting a bit blasé? Was this
0: Has this been the same reaction to this weekend's events that we saw from when you qualified for the Euros?
7: I think people didn't expect this, but you're right. It, it hasn't been as crazy of a reaction as when we qualified for the Euros. That was obviously our first major tournament ever. No one expected that an Icelandic team could do this you know old people were crying they never thought this would happen in their you know lifetimes it was it was beautiful I think this time it's just been more people have been in disbelief Mm -hmm. because before the game on Friday I mean no one was expecting Croatia to drop points at home to Finland no one was really expecting us to beat Turkey people were saying maybe take a point but the complete you know domination of that game and and being in this situation People are just kind of realizing what's going on, and uh, well, there will definitely be celebration tonight. Right. Um, again, I hope. I know this. People will listen to this after the game, and maybe we lost, and then I'm uh, I'm an idiot. But uh, <laughs> but that's at least how I feel. <laughs> Stefan, let's say. Uh, well, fingers
0: crossed, eh? Hey? Not least because it'll be a fascinating rematch with England at Russia. Eh? Anyway, <laughs> I hope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll stand by to see what happens with crossover uh, this evening. One of the other top stories this weekend, without question, were the Netherlands, unfortunately, and uh, Jack M saying anything funnier this international break than Advocat laughing off a reporter's idea that Sweden might win 8-0. Did you see this press conference? Yeah. Poor chap. I mean, to recap, Luxembourg had just held uh, France to a 0-0 draw, and it was always going to come down. It looked like two-goal difference for the Netherlands with Sweden. But, uh, yeah, they won't win 8-0. What a stupid question that is. 8-0? Well, no, I don't believe that, says Dick Advocate when asked by a Dutch reporter. And they promptly did just that. The eighth goal from Ole Teuvenen. Pretty special, no? Did you not see it? I didn't see it, no. Oh, no. It's, it's really Beautiful, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kind of things that's... Uh, was it Sunderland he was at?
2: Yes. Briefly, yes. Briefly.
0: Right, yeah, Dick Advocate took him there. Yeah, anyway, uh, he won't be taking Holland to the World Cup and that's a big Shame. Spain, duh, are through and that group. Italy went and got held to a 1-1 draw by Macedonia. They are definitely through, I think, to a playoff now, though, uh, thanks to other results. And there's still some questions. A lot of people asking about Giampiero Ventura's future, particularly with Ancelotti now on the market. I think, barring something absolutely extraordinary against Albania, Albania rather, this evening, uh, that the uh, FIGC will just plough on with Ventura until it's far too late to do anything about it we'll talk more about that on thursday perhaps once that game's been played portugal and switzerland have a huge match coming up portugal are sure of at least making the playoffs uh, but they're going to be at home on tuesday to switzerland they're three points behind switzerland the swiss have just beaten hungary 5-2 in basel their ninth straight qualifying win so they're doing pretty well Uh, rafa germany a 5-1 win over Azerbaijan, wasn't it, this last one? It was. Yeah, and then previously the victory over Northern Ireland. I love that Liam Goretzka goal. You didn't seem that bothered about it. No, it's a very nice goal. Mm. Did you see this one, Michael? No, sorry. Tell him about it. Well, the ball
5: fell to him after a corner, and uh, he was facing the wrong direction, so he improvised with a uh, back heel. But the interesting thing about that one was that he kind of smashed it on the half-volley. So rather than your regulation back here, which kind of trickles in, this one really went high up, almost mm, into the roof, roof, almost into roof yeah, of the net, which made it look very good. I mean, Germany in the first half were a little bit shaky. You could see that that uh, very experimental three-three-three-one system that they were playing, uh, without any uh, defensive wide players, It took a bit of time before it got going, but eventually their, um, their just their sheer quality and. Um, and the movement up front uh, overwhelmed Azerbaijan. What was really interesting is that Germany, when they lost the ball, uh, pressed really, really effectively. And of course, you know Azerbaijan did not have the technical players to to get out of that press and completely surrendered the ball immediately. And Germany looked looked pretty good. Um, you know, Azerbaijan. Of course, you have to make allowances for the quality or lack of the opposition, but. This was another encouraging performance for, for Löw, who almost seems to have the problem that everybody would love to have in his place, which is too many players to choose from. Um, he will have a really hard time finding the right uh, midfield combination, deciding who he wants to play up front, who his creative players will be. The only problem that he has is the, the fullback positions where there's Joshua Kimmich on the right and no one really on the left and also no natural backup for, for Kimmich mm. unless Benjamin Heinrichs, um continues to to improve at Leverkusen but that, that's that been Germany's Achilles heel for a long long time now ever since Philipp Lahm moved from the left to the right um, there's been no one on the left who's anywhere near uh, on the same level with the possible ex- exception of Marcel Schmelzer of Dortmund but for some reason Leuven just not does not like him mm. and just refuses to call him up again.
0: But you're still world champions, uh, even with that uh, Achilles heel. Uh, oh, I noticed Mustafi went off. Uh, how serious is that injury? Uh, a,
5: it seems to be a pretty bad one. Um, it seems to be a, a, a muscle tear of the, uh, of the worse uh, sort. So it could be a couple of months if, right. uh, if it's as bad as, as first reported.
0: Also injured this week uh, on International GD... N'Golo in France's uh, win over Bulgaria. And, of course, Marouane Fellaini, who he did manage to get himself off the field and, I believe, away from the stadium. But they were talking about some kind of knee strain, which is going to keep him out of the massive uh, fixture coming up when the Premier League returns this Saturday, Liverpool Man United. Wilfred Lawrence says, Who would each of the pod uh, be calling favourites for the World Cup at this stage? Hard to look, says Wilfred, beyond Germany. And he agrees with you, Rafa, too
1: much depth. Who would your favourite be, Jack? Germany as well, right? I think they just—they have the mentality. Having there's a comfort level that comes with having won recent tournaments. That I think possibly reduces the pressure on the squad. Hmm. I think if you look at the other people regarded as favourites, uh, Belgium, some people, Spain, Brazil, even. I think they'll all, they'll all have a touch more pressure on them, and I think that will probably make a difference. I see Germany as having the, the most complete squad and the most settled uh, structure, really.
0: Right, they've got the right genes, really, for the Spain, just too small, I suggest. <laughs> Michael?
2: Yeah, I'd go I'd go for Spain, despite that weakness, actually. Really? I think some of the players coming through are, are going to take them to the next level, and I think it's uh, almost a bit of a new generation now. They've, mm. they've obviously moved on from Xavi and Xavi Alonso um, after the last World Cup, and um, the likes of Coque and... Um, Marco Asensio. The way they destroyed Italy in uh, Madrid last month was quite spectacular.
0: certainly was. Um, Germany then, Rafa. National side doing absolutely terrifically. What is it? Ten games. You've won them all. 43 goals scored. Four goals conceded. Looking pretty good. Why is German club football, when it ventures beyond its borders, faring so disastrously by comparison?
5: Well, it's a question that a lot of people are asking themselves, and uh, certainly Joachim Löw uh, made a point of saying this is um, this is very worrying. Uh, Germany had uh, for the last few years uh, a better record in, in in Europe than the Premier League, and now they've uh, they've relinquished that, and they're worried in a way that uh, Italy might even
0: well uh, catch Italy up went with above them in the UEFA coefficient for
5: for the year, yes. But yeah. we're talking about five years. Okay. Um, it doesn't really matter so much anymore with the new Champions League format coming in, mm. but it is an accurate reflection. I think where German club football stands, what they suffer a little bit from, I think, is the the openness of the league and the uh, kind of lack of hierarchy that you have. You have Bayern and you have Dortmund, and then it's it's wide open, and you have teams like Leipzig and Hoffenheim, who uh, not only um, haven't been played haven't played much in the top division at all, but are of course both in their first ever European campaigns. And right. you could see that that cleverness, that kind of uh, know-how to negotiate um, these these trips is lacking a little bit. They're a little bit naive. They're a little bit um, weak when it comes to dealing with, with kind of unforeseen stuff. And uh, But Bayern it, and Dortmund, who do have experience? Well, Bayern and Dortmund are... I, you have to look at them individually and Bayern and Dortmund are still belong to the top 10 teams in Europe there's very little question about that Bayern uh, with a bit of luck can still challenge for the Champions League albeit they're no longer uh, quite on the level that they were a few years ago uh, Dortmund have a problem with coming up against Spurs and, and Real Madrid that's not going to do much for your uh, for your chances I think they'll fare reasonably better against Apuel in the next couple of rounds at the same time it's probably true of Bayern who got Celtic in the next two rounds. So it is a bit of a snapshot. But I think it does, it does suggest that there is, there is a problem because there really shouldn't be a reason why Freiburg or Hertha fare as badly against the, the teams that they played against. They are, despite you know, not being the richest and the most prolific teams in terms of individual quality, should really have enough to, to get through the likes of Ostersund, and Dom Jale, I think, who who knocked out Freiburg, so that that is where I think the real criticism will come
0: in. Are people in Germany though pointing to this as a kind of sign of an incipient decline or something, or is it just regarded as a an off season?
5: It's hard to answer that. I think you have to almost go team by team. Certainly, Bayern, there is very much a debate about their decline this right. year, and uh, and a wider debate, of course, whether they can continue to. Uh, or, or come back to the same level without spending huge amounts of money.
0: Could they if they wanted to?
5: They could if they wanted to spend spend big money. they could have if they wanted to gone and broke the bank and get Alexis Sanchez, but they refused to pay the kind of wages that, that uh, he wanted. They refused to I think even think about spending 60 or 70 million euros or a player who was out of contract the next season. The question is can they um, make up for that deficit? by better coaching by more togetherness by mentality by all these little things tactics that you can influence that don't necessarily cost a lot of money the answer is yes potentially but obviously not this season because uh this is a very much a damage limitation exercise with your is coming in today he was unveiled today hmm. uh, as a makeshift uh, caretaker just to bring a bit of peace and tranquility uh into the club, and we're not just even—we're not even talking about the dressing room. We're talking about the people above him. Mm. <laughs> so he's got a lot of work to do.
0: The how serious is this? Place. It's between what Oli Hurnis and uh... Karlanz kind of Romanica,
5: right? It's—it's uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, they've never—they've never really seen eye to eye on many things. But they used to have this, this kind of power share agreement. Uh, despite all his problems, kind of managed to steer Bayern in the right direction. They would often. Frustrate themselves, but somehow, as a whole, they would they would make more right decisions than wrong ones. This this particular um, time uh, in in history, there there's a problem because Olihuena has come back after his jail sentence, and expected I think to take over where he left off. In the meantime, Karzroumeniger had uh, had gained more power, had gained a lo- lot of respect as well for making some very pragmatic decisions, uh, but. Uh, crucially he got the appointment of Ancelotti wrong uh, and now Hunus thinks um, now it's down to me to make the right appointment for the next coach mm. uh, he very much pushed for Julian Nagelsmann um, they couldn't do it for a number of reasons uh, and what Heinke's um, appointment allows them to do is just play a bit for time and uh, and really go for Nagelsmann in the summer when uh, it's be much more realistic and also when when uh, I think Carl Benzema could be more amenable, having uh, contacted Thomas Tuchel uh, as his preferred choice, and uh, my understanding is that Tuchel turned Bayern down uh, on the basis of not really having the backing of the whole.
0: Um, All right, which is fair enough. Where would Tuchel go,
5: do you think? Well, Tuchel is waiting for a big job in in the Premier League. Oh, okay, um, he's had offers uh, below the top six. Uh, he feels he's uh, done enough to warrant a crack at uh, at the very top. And we'll see if there is an opening. I mean, Chelsea, I think, by all accounts, will will have to appoint somebody new in the summer. Um, there have been, I think, preliminary talks going back uh, all the way to the summer um, of this year, in June. And uh, that could be an option for him.
0: Mm. That's because, supposedly, Antonio Conte has decided that he's... He's heading home. Uh, AJ Cortese, uh, specifically for Honigstein, how promising is Schalke's McKinney right now?
5: Yeah, he's good. Um, Who's this? He's a young American, uh, Wester McKinney, who um, has has looked quite good, actually. Um, Schalke because they're not really working as a team so well I think it's harder for individuals to really shine and progress and you can see that almost you know Goretzka is a much better player for Germany Mm. um, than Schalke which is weird because it should be the other way around really you should feel more confident and natural in your club environment and I mean Weston has looked really really good very very quick um, super application the kind of player that wants to learn Uh, Different to Pulisic, but at the same time, I'd say you'd put them in the same bracket because Pulisic has also, I think, shown himself so able and willing to improve his game and constantly uh, learn and pick up new things. And uh, early early signs are that uh, his compatriot might be doing the
0: same. Bingo. Speaking of Pulisic and McKinney and young Americans... Very shortly, we're going to be hearing about how America turned their qualifying hopes around with that mighty 4-0 win over Panama. There'll also be all sorts of drama uh, from Argentina and the like, and a brief appearance from Ian McIntosh, all after this. Listeners to footballing podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again. Just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Ian McIntosh. Tuesday marks the return of the Totally Football League show, which at least has got some League One, and League Two action. Is that what you're going on?
5: Yeah, absolutely. We've mm. also we are welcoming to the studio one of my favourite ever
3: people, uh, Chris Powell. Oh yeah, in. nice one. Former South End legend. Well, forever South End legend. Yeah. Uh, but he's coming in because we're going to talk about Derby County. Mm. I'm
5: just sat in the other room outside the studio now, watching Derby County's nil-nil draw with Cardiff. Bingo. Yeah, it's very exciting.
0: All right, then. Excellent. So all of that kind of thing.
5: Yeah, we'll have that. We'll be looking at Accrington Stanley as well, because we sent Matt Stanger up there. And finally, we're going to be looking at Shrewsbury as well, who drew this weekend, but remain uh, resolutely top of League One.
0: Why, I cannot wait for all of that to be available for my ears. Uh, that'll be sometime on Tuesday afternoon. Bingo. Good stuff. Mm. Thanks, Ian. More international news from further afield. Two Africans now qualified. Did you know this, Rafa? Yes. Yes. Egypt, that's right. After 28 years there at the World Cup, Mo Salah with two goals in a 2-1 victory over Congo that takes Hector Coupé's team through to uh, the tournament in Russia. Hector Kuper was the manager of Egypt. I must admit, that had escaped me in terrific scenes in Cairo, wouldn't you say, Michael?
2: Yeah, fantastic scenes. And the interesting thing about the Egypt side is uh, their goalkeeper, SM El Hadari,
0: how It'll old's he going to be?
2: He be? will be 45 when he starts and captains Egypt at uh, next summer's tournament, which will break the record for the oldest player uh, by two years from uh, Farid Mondragon, who you oh, might yeah. remember played yeah. for Colombia in 2014.
0: Right. Zoff famously winning the World Cup at the age of 40. I imagine that makes him the oldest World Cup winner.
2: I think you're right, yes. Yeah. And I think he took the record from the Italian goalkeeper from 34. it will be right called like
0: saying. Sentimenti 4 or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay. Who was Argentinian? <laughs> Most of them were. But anyway, nationality, it's a kind of an abstract construct. Yeah. I put it to you, Refer. Oh, Nigeria also through, as you mentioned. Alex Iwobi, who's just like he's a gold machine now. Alex, he will be going to um, going <laughs> to Russia, or he won't be missing out. Either of those options work. Conquer CAF. Mexico is through. Costa Rica have joined them in Russia, USA almost there. They moved up to third this weekend with a 4-0 win against Panama in Orlando Friday night. Now, they do still need a win in their final game to assure, inshore qualification, but this is a, a, such a big result that we decided to speak a little bit earlier to our friend George kereshi the editor of US Soccer quarterly Howler magazine, who was actually there in Orlando to watch it go down. This is what he said
3: it was wonderful. People were here were very nervous about this, this match and qualifying in general. We were, um, we were behind Panama in the table and, uh, if they had won, they would have booked their ticket to, to Russia. And I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, four years ago, the U S uh, was playing Panama and needlessly put them out of the world cup, uh, in the final minutes of that match. Uh, if we hadn't scored, Mexico would have stayed out and, uh, you know, they're our biggest rival. So, uh, you know, they had, they had reason to, uh, to be up for this game, but man, we, we showed up and, and the U S played so well. We were, I don't know. Everyone around me was pretty shocked that, that we won
0: 4-0. George, it's been a terrible campaign, mostly for the national team. Uh, Klinsman sacked, Bruce Arena brought back in. Was this result, and more importantly, was this performance enough to make people think America can be great again?
3: It was. So I think people here, we were we were relatively sure that the US would qualify. It's very hard not to qualify from CONCACAF, but... The more concerning thing was how we were qualifying and, uh, you know, we were just going to scrape through. And what does that mean for the World Cup next year? Were we going to be able to actually play nice soccer? And so with Klinsman and sometimes with Arena, we're used to seeing two holding midfielders, a pretty stodgy approach to the game. And and in this match, Michael Bradley played as the sole holding midfielder, which allowed really their five players in the attack. Uh, and just the the pace of the transitions, we scored a few goals off of off of counterattacks, uh, which has been a sort of a, a mainstay of the American game for going back. I mean, if you if you think back to sort of the last high point, which was the 2009 Confederation Cup when we beat Spain, the world champion, and then almost beat Brazil in the final. These were fast teams that could turn from winning possession to scoring a goal very quickly, and this is what we were doing against Panama over and over again. That was really exciting to see just the the style that we that we did it in.
0: Well, a name that we often bring up in this podcast is Christian Pulisic. How good, George, do you think he is? And how big a star is he right now in the United States?
3: He's a very good player. Uh, we, we've had a series of promising young players here going back all the way to Freddie Adu over a decade ago, but he's he's on a different level. He's playing for a, a, real, a real big team in, in Europe. He's very exciting. And, and I think one of the most promising things for us is that you know, for Dorman, he plays on the wing. We've tried him out on the wing with the national team, and, and Bruce Arena played him in the center uh, against Panama. And I think. The consensus is is building that that's his best position for us. Uh, and it's the place where he's going to be the most effective. And watching him pick up the ball and just go at you know two um, admittedly big and slow center backs for Panama, still uh, was was extremely exciting and uh, something that you know we want to see going forward. Now he's he's really penetrated here. The news program, 60 Minutes, did a a segment on him uh, last weekend. And so when I was driving my mother-in-law to the airport she said, "Have you heard about this Christian Paulson guy?" and proceeded to tell me his life story. So, if she if she knows about Christian Pulisic, <laughs> signs are that most people in the country do.
0: Okay, you got Trinidad and Tobago coming up on Tuesday. A draw will still be enough to get you through. But I bet you're going to go for the big one, aren't you?
3: Uh, you know, I think I think I think they'll win. They're extremely confident now. Trinidad is the has been the weakest team in the hexagonal uh, so far. It's the last game. They they they're already eliminated. Um you know, that said, you know, Panama and Honduras, which are tied on points and both have a, a shot to uh, to make it above the U.S. Uh, and, and avoid the playoff against either Syria or Australia. They both have a shot to do that, but they're going to need to score a lot of goals uh, in victories against stronger teams, Costa Rica and Mexico. Um, so I think it looks pretty good for the U.S. Uh, that, you know, but again, w- I think the fans here are more interested in how we're qualifying rather than whether we do, because that seems pretty assured. Uh, so, you know, I think everyone here would like to see uh, a strong performance and a, and a big win.
0: George Qureshi, uh, editor of the Terrific Howler magazine. It looks good and smells good, that publication, Jack. Mm, Speaking of you. smelling good, why don't you tell us all about Ecuador, Argentina? This is Tuesday night, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, midnight 30 for the uh, for the sleep fans. Zero dark 30. Exactly right. It's the second game in a week looks like a must win the first one actually, was a must win they actually, didn't well, It win actually it. wasn't it turns out oh. it, it's uh, it felt like a must win but okay it wasn't. so
0: last time you were in you were saying you're going to have loads of coffee and stay up to watch i think it started at two in two in the morning uk time peru argentina argentina peru
1: well i started at nine thirty uk time which okay which handily got me out of the second half of the england match so bolivia brazil was first up then the second half or 60 minutes of Venezuela v. Uruguay, then Peru-Argentina, midnight 30. So right. it was, uh, in the end, it was about three, three o'clock bedtime. Uh, number of goals, I saw zero. You're kidding. In all that time? Uh, yeah, Correct, yeah. There were goals happening elsewhere. In the other two games, I didn't watch. There were, there were six goals, but got a little bit unlucky. But it was actually a very absorbing evening. Right. OK,
0: so Argentina... Drew, nil-nil. Michael
1: doesn't believe a word of that.
0: (laughs) um, A nil-nil draw at home with Peru certainly was a a newsworthy result. And now they must win this final qualifier in in Ecuador to claim at least fifth spot, which would take them into that two-legged playoff against New Zealand. A couple of stats for you here. You're probably aware of this. Argentina have had 73 shots on goal since they last scored in the qualifiers. 73 shots. And it's a year, a year, 12 months since anyone other than Leo Messi scored for Argentina.
1: Yeah, I mean, you think of... Briefly touched on this last week, but you think of the strikers at their disposal. So we're talking Gonzalo Guayin, Mauro Vecardi. Right. Dibola, and then even down to like Lucas Prato and Dario Benedetto, who led the line last week. So good strikers on anyone's uh, by anyone's books. Got you, They don't lack like for creators as well. You've got Messi setting up many chances. All of the strikers in qualifiers... Forty-nine shots between them and just three goals. Two for Prato, who's out for the moment, one for Higuain, who is not even called up. So that gives you a sense of how how lacking they are in cutting edge in the final third. And well, it
0: doesn't make any sense, Jack. What? why are they not able these are all players who scored prolifically for their clubs. But put them in and they got messy behind them, put them in an Argentina shirt. You'd think it was everything was set up for this to be a, a goal making factory.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the thing with Thursday night's game, a lot has been made about the possibility of Messi not going to the World Cup and I think there's there's a bit of a straw man argument going on. People a backlash against the Messi backlash, which I recently at least haven't really seen a Messi backlash. He was their best player by a country mile in that game. He set up plentiful chances for his for his teammates. So creatively, it's very it's very one-dimensional in that everything has to go through Messi. And there were times he was playing... He looked like he was playing defensive midfield. He was dropping so deep. And he really wasn't getting any help from what was supposed to be the other creative forces in the team. Angel Di Maria was appalling, taken off at half-time. Papo Gomez, who I actually really like watching him in Italy, had a terrible, terrible game. Didn't really look like he knew where he was supposed to be playing. And there's just a lack of those kind of patterns, those when Messi looks up, obviously, at club level, he's got... he almost knows before he looks up where his teammates are going to be. There's there's none of that for Argentina, which means that up front, the ball isn't the ball isn't really worked into great positions if it's not messy doing it himself with a bit of individual g- genius. So there were two, uh, three chances that he set up two for uh, Benedetto, one with a gorgeous chip ball over the defence, another with a little reverse pass. Both wasted. One for Pablo Gomez again. Messi make it happen himself, dancing past a couple, feeding him through a lovely ball. Again wasted. Messi himself had plenty of efforts, but they just they they picked the uh, a bad day to to face Peru. Peru were camped in their half most of the match, but they're very they're very calm. So they seem to be well drilled. They know what they're doing. And in Pedro Galeza, their goalkeeper, they had someone who was just having a great match. And the longer the game wore on the less likely you thought Argentina were to score. Jorge Sampaoli, obviously, a lot of it has been made of of the attacking players, but I think he deserves a little bit of leeway because he's only just come, but his substitutions were were fairly contrary. So Argentina ended a game they really needed to score in with both Icardi and Dybala still on the bench, just changed his midfield, really. Fernando Gago came on somehow still, an international player, very unluckily, came off injured a few minutes later, really nasty knee injury but then at that point he had the chance to I don't know take take a bit of the initiative and make amends for that slightly defensive change by maybe putting on Debola, but then he brings on Enzo Perez and the game just drifts away from Argentina
5: Jack the game in Ecuador will be played at uh, high altitude 2,900 metres thank you James Ecuador at the same time have nothing to play for they've lost their previous five qualifying games
1: <laughs> I'm using up all my material <laughs>
5: how motivated will they be to to knock out argentina of the world cup
1: i think this actually is probably the the biggest factor in argentina's favor here ecuador not only on a miserable run of form but after the after Thursday night's results they lost in chile cannot qualify nothing to play for and really ecuador have been a problematic team in the past for for what you might judged to be bigger nations but at the moment they're, they're really in a poor bit of form the squad is low on star power to say the least and yeah lost five games in a row like you say and actually their record in, in Quito which is usually very strong has, has been not as, uh, not as dominant as usual so Brazil, Colombia and Peru have all won there this is qualifying campaign um, Argentina
0: haven't won there in four visits
1: yeah, only three times ever as well, and only oh, really? only once since 1960, none of which bows well, granted. But the fact that, I mean, Ecuador are, are in not a really good place. They, they will want to give a good account of themselves, I'm sure, in their final home qualifier, but it's not, on paper at least, it's not a team that should trouble Argentina. That said, many teams who on paper shouldn't have troubled Argentina have done so. Yeah, that's
0: true. Um, what, what do you think? Are they going to win? Are Argentina going to get the win, Jack? Are they? Yay, nay. Uh, I north. think,
1: yes. I think if they. Bang. It will be perhaps by the skin of their teeth that don't think it will be particularly pretty. But mm. I think against a team low on confidence, they will maybe grind out a 1 0 victory.
0: Right. Just tell it. Who do you think is going through from South America and who's going to get the
1: playoff? <laughs> so Brazil are already through. Brazil through. Uruguay are all but mathematically through. They're mm. fine. Uh, on both. Sets of results that I have, so I think Brazil beat Chile. I think Uruguay will beat Bolivia. Hmm. I think Argentina will sneak a result in Ecuador. The one I'm not sure about is Peru Colombia. So right. I think it will all come down to that. And in both sets of results I have, I think Paraguay will sneak into the playoff spot. Really, with New Zealand, can they beat New Zealand? Uh, I mm, I think that's fairly touch and go. They're not a, they're not a great team, but they really got themselves out of pr- trouble in Colombia got Argentina into a lot of trouble. Two David Ospina mistakes for Colombia. Ooh. Arsenal fans might be disappointed to hear. And uh, yeah, I think Paraguay are actually the dark horse to sneak into the, the playoff spot at the expense of Chile and either Peru or Colombia. Wow. Michael?
2: Yeah, there's so much focus upon Argentina and that's reasonable considering they have Lionel Messi. But 2010, I think the funnest team of the tournament were Chile. 2014, I think the funnest team of the tournament were Colombia. And I think those two sides could be more of a loss than Argentina to the competition if they don't get through, especially because, you know, looking at Argentina at the moment, they've basically just got messy. you know. I mean, they've got other players, but they're not playing well. So it's just all about Messi, whereas I'd rather that you had teams that we don't really see, you know, from from a four-year cycle to the next, um, being cohesive and attacking and entertaining rather than this kind of, I mean the Argentina side isn't great. You no. look at the defense and midfield, it's not a to be fair, it's not Michael, an attractive it's a, team. It's, it's a World Cup,
0: I'm just going to enjoy whoever's there.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. but it'll be more but remember that the yeah. last two tournaments have been criticized for being very defensive. Yes. And Chile and Colombia were two of the teams who did play attacking football. Argentina will not.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think Chile would be a great loss just the the collective football that they play, the they've got so many lovely players and yeah, I think they did themselves a big favour on Thursday by beating Ecuador, going from sixth to third, but I still think that it might be the end of this generation. All
0: right, well, that's the end of our little South American run. We, we, we've got to move on, although here's a quick question. Can you tell us anything about how Ravel Morrison's getting on? It's not strictly South America. But for Liga MX side Atlas, I know he did score a wonder goal this Sunday. <laughs>
1: A little step over on the edge of the gym. box and, and slammed a shot in at the near post. It's quite rare to see players that come from Europe, but especially England, playing in Mexico. Andre Pierre Gignac is, is the one who went from Marseille. There's also Enner Valencia who used to play for West, oh, yeah. West Ham. And there's one English player who has played there before, and it is Antonio Pedroza once of Crystal Palace. All oh, right, OK. Fascinating. But uh, Ravel Morrison, he's, he's doing OK, is he? I think he's, he only joined a few days ago. I think that might have been his first start. Right, OK. We're all up in
0: that Liga MX here on the Totally Football Show. Listeners, have a bit of music, and then if you sent in a question and thinking, why didn't they ask that yet? It might be coming up after this. Tweet us at the Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us
6: out at thetootleyfootballshow.com.
0: Gary Robinson. Hello. Check this out, AC Jimbo. He says, my hometown team, Chorley, and a stunner from Nick Horton from his own half. Goal of the weekend, Chorley. Did you see this?
2: No, I clearly haven't seen any of the goals I was meant to see. No, sorry. This
0: basically it was a stunner from Nick Horton from his own half. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was very impressive. Michael, you, of course, were seeing goals uh, scored by Harrow at Kingstonian. No, vice versa. Oh, huh. you were at Kings, you were at Harrow, and you saw Kingstonian beat them by two goals to nil.
2: No, not that. Vice versa, it was at Harrow, but Harrow won two nil.
0: Bingo. Yeah. All right then. And how was that? I mean,
2: there's nothing much to say. But it's a very bleak ground in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it was a rubbish game. You know, it's everything that non-league is really about. It's not about Absolutely. you know, having fun and flares you find at Clapton and hmm. loads of supporters you get a dull it's about you know rubbish football with with no one watching it's, it's kind
0: great. of about well, it's kind of what feeding that kind of Calvinistic need to suffer to feel better about yourself or what
2: uh, well it makes you it makes you appreciate good football when you see it I suppose all right and you a, came home to the England game yeah unfortunately
0: <laughs> all right then uh, also in non-league day news of course we were talking about the big Grudge match at the old Spotted Dog Ground, Rafa, the oldest senior ground in London. Hackney Wick taking on Clapton FC, which saw the Clapton Ultras returned. They've been boycot- boycotting the ground all season. If you were listening on Thursday, you'll know all about this. They went back to the ground because it's also Hackney Wick's ground. Because they were technically the away side, they felt able to go, and they helped their side to a two-one win, which has moved them up to tenth in A Division. Sir Alex Ferguson went to non-league the football, day. Football, yeah. Huh? Hipster football. Very, very much so. Even Sir Alex Ferguson's enjoying it. He went to Macclesfield to watch them beat Ebsfleet United 1-0. I'll go to another question. Ed Quoth-Raven says, Who is everyone's favourite footballing Roy? Finally, we get this question. <laughs> Rafa, who's your favourite footballing Roy? Come on. There's Roy Hodgson. There's Roy Keane. Roy Naldo. Roy Naldo, Great shout. Love the Rovers. Absolutely. Marco Royce. Brian Roy. How about Brian Roy? Do you remember him? Dutch yeah.
2: winger, play yeah.
0: for Fodger. Nice. Okay, on yeah, hmm? Roy. Van
2: Nistelrooy, I'd say. Van
0: Nistelrooy. Van Nistelroy, Leroy Sane. Ooh, Leroy Rosenia. We're on a roll now. <laughs> uh, a roll with Roy's. Yeah, a Roy's roll. Haha. <laughs> anyway, Guy Lewis, an imaginary billionaire, consults you about buying an English and a continental sleeping giant. Which clubs do you recommend that this imaginary billionaire uh, buy and why? That's a good one. I would say Hamburg. Okay, Hamburg
5: why? Because they have everything um, to be a huge, huge team, a huge club in Europe. Mm. They have the history, they have the fan base, they have the city, amazing stadium. Um, but they have chaotic uh, club leadership, bad finances. And they're, they're punching so far below their weight that any half-decent person to come in with a bit of money could, could have achieved... They're the, the
0: Arsenal of, of Germany, basically, that's what you're saying. No, much, much I'm, worse than I'm the Arsenal. I'm kidding, of course. They're the Newcastle of
5: Germany. Much worse than that. Oh, really? OK. Well, they haven't been relegated, but they are they are forever
0: a, a byword for um,
5: underachievement and mm. uh, lack
0: of competence. Right. Who would you recommend in England, then? Um, Newcastle? I mean, they're, they're yeah. the,
2: kind of the obvious ones. I mean, Newcastle or Leeds, I guess, are the standard answers. I mean, Wolves, I guess, has been is being tried. Maybe that's the uh, the next
0: one. Tell you what, there's a question that we might dust off for this Thursday's uh, Totally Football show because Dr Tom Markham, who knows all about takeovers, uh, will be joining us. You can trust him. He's a doctor. <laughs> uh, oh, and here's another one. Hey, Des Holton says, does the pod know that Tony Watt, you know, who scored for Celtic against Barcelona, has a movie review website as well as playing football? Do you know what his... His website's called?
5: I think I saw the tweet. Is it, is it What Watches or What to Watch. What to Watch. What yeah. to
0: Watch, yeah. Brilliant. It's a very nice-looking website, actually.
5: Have you looked at it? I had a
0: quick look, yeah. I went and had a look.
5: As a professional, a fellow professional I'm, in that sphere. I
0: think you have to be paid for somebody to call you a professional. Right. <laughs> so, still very much in the amateur ranks there. But um, You are? Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so.
2: Did you see a few years ago where Leighton Baines had a music blog? On Everton's website, that's
1: true. It was, forgotten. it was quite a good read actually, mm-hmm.
2: and I, his form has dipped since he stopped doing his music blog. I go. don't know whether that's cause or effect.
1: On fo- on footballer websites, I I don't think it exists anymore. But <laughs> briefly, there was a wonderful, wonderful corner of the internet on which John Utaka had a series of pictures of himself. I mean, he'd obviously paid for props and for mm. photographs, and they were they were I'm not even how sure how to describe them. They were kind of branding buzzwords like creativity. But they cool. in the way that you choose some that are nouns and some that are verbs, so it's a bit messy, like creativity, uh, trying, things like that. And with him just in a series of poses with a bow and arrow, uh dressed as a kind of middle-aged thinker. I, I'll try and dig it out That's somehow That's brilliant yeah. Where can
0: we find those? I don't think you
1: can Do <laughs> you think they've all been deleted? I, I'm sure the photos exist but the, the website itself no ah. is no longer with us but I'll, I'll do my best to dig out the photos
0: Alright and listen finally talking of no longer with us uh, Frank Psychic says how about a word or two on the passing of Italian broadcasting legend Aldo Biscardi this probably means nothing to any of you is that right? Do you know Aldo Biscardi? I know at Even you file that you are with a moustache no, no, he's that's the guy funny. with he's kind of uh, the proto Donald Trump, um, in, in so many ways. This is something we'll have to dust off for um Thursday's pod with James, who I, I know will be deeply moved uh, by Aldo Biscardi, Biscardi's passing. He basically hosted, he kind of is it, credited in Italy with inventing the whole genre of shows where you just sit around talking or more accurately shouting about football and that's all you do. And he would, uh, he would be the kind of genial host with this ridiculous tan and orange hair, which is why I call him the the right. proto-Donald Trump. No, and also because they were taught utter nonsense for the entire course of the show, which was called the Monday Trial, il processo del Lunedì, which was an institution in Italy. Um, and indeed, as Frank Psychic points out, his mm-hmm. temporary downfall came about because he was part of Luciano Moggi's kind of enclave. Moggi basically had journalists, players, managers, agents, everybody under his wing and he could lean on them, for. he could exert influence at any time to get the right spin to try and help somebody's career and get a favour in return. And Biscardi was one of the people who, when they uncovered all the wiretaps, Biscardi was in there heavily, Rafa,
5: James, when you were there, yes, did anyone ever lean never, on you? Never.
0: No. What was in those cakes, James? Yeah. No. Uh, no. Sadly, I was entirely peripheral to the to the whole you never thing. Got
5: any expensive watches?
0: I'm the, afraid not. All paid expenses. No. But anyway, Biscardi, uh, an utter institution, an unbearable program, and really quite the worst program <laughs> ever made. But uh, hopefully, there's some of it out on YouTube because it's worth there going to see. He sits there. Basically, he will just he'll provoke the entire storm by saying something inflammatory. Yeah. And then everybody, notably Maurizio Mosca, who was this kind of like unpleasant, short little man, who's also sadly passed away now, um, next to him, would just shout at, from either side of the studio at each other. And Biscardi would be there kind of with his hands up saying, calm down, everyone, calm down, with a big smile on his face. And, and that's basically how they... Was this
1: even a football show? Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh. oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, that is... That's the essence of football. I, I think I'm being fair in Italy. So, um... Yeah. Uh, We've got to go, and I bet you have too, listeners, unless you have already. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday with all sorts of things. Dr Tom Markham will be with us, Julien Laurent and James Horncastle as well. And of course, we'll be looking forward to big fixtures in the Premier League and beyond. With notably Man United visiting Liverpool. For today, many thanks to Michael Cox, to Jack Lang, and to Raphael Honigstein for being with us. Have yourselves a fantastic finish to the International Week, and we'll see you Thursday. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales
6: and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.